So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. SIMULTV.com. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share innovative thoughts and explore deepening truth in support of the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be looking at evolution through psycho-spiritual paradigms. Historically, we've viewed the human being as a conglomeration of parts rather than as a whole. Evolution, by its very nature, is the movement from fragmentation into unity. As we're increasingly being confronted with the need to embrace a more integrated experience, it becomes necessary to change our concepts from polarization, either or, to inclusion. The lines between formats must first blur and eventually dissolve in order for us to participate in the larger picture being presented at this time. We need to apply this seamlessness to our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual expressions, as well as to the world at large. What will this transformation look like? How can we unify when we've been fragmented for so long? What's caused this fragmentation? How can we evolve through into whole beings, individually and culturally? With us this hour to explore fragmentation and unity and evolution is Dr. Sharon G. Miharis. Sharon is a psycho, psychologist, Sufi master, and professor teaching at National University, the California Institute for Human Science, and Brandman University. She co-authored six books focused on psycho-spiritual development and the role of the feminine in global transformation, a force such as the world has never known, women creating change. Brings women together from many cultures and many areas of work. She's presented workshops in Costa Rica, Ecuador, Egypt, India, Mexico, Scotland, Uganda, United States, and Venezuela. Her website, psychospiritual.org. Sharon, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. It's a pleasure, and I thank you for inviting me. You're a psychologist. Where did you study? Uh, I took my training at the Union Institute, and for a very important reason, I did not want to be indoctrinated into a limiting form of psychology. So I chose a university that truly sponsored not only the the academic learning that's needed in order to become a licensed psychologist, but also that would support what I believed. Okay, so how did you become interested in psycho-spirituality? Well, I have to look at my entire life. In my earlier life, I had a lot of problems, as so many other people do, and I was pretty self-abusive, and I actually had a revelation, what would be called a spontaneous hypnotic reject, uh, repression, no, uh, what do you call it, hypnotic regression. And um, it took me to a place where something came up that I saw in my childhood that I had been blaming myself for and holding guilt because the story had never been told consciously or to anyone else. And at the same time, I was 23 when this occurred, 23, 24, at the same time, uh, a very spiritual presence told me to forgive myself for I had only been a child. So at that moment, Freudian psychology and trauma work 
and spirituality came together in a second. It transformed my life. It sounds pretty profound. How how did you go into this spontaneous state? Oh, I, it happened just the way a psychoanalysis would do it. One sentence led to another sentence that led to another sentence, and then up came this memory. Oh, so and, like, kind of like free association? Yes, and it was okay. just happening spontaneously. Wow. I, I'd had a dream the night before that it led to it. It had kind of disturbed me, and by then I was more open to intuition, and I knew don't do anything to try and escape, stay with this. And so yeah. I was in, uh, actually, I think it was a two-day process. Did you have some help? No, I did it all. It all happened on my own. Oh, that's that's kind of a tough way to go, isn't it? Uh, not really, because you learn really well. And <laughs> and I, I would say much of the learning I've had in my life has come to me intuitive, intuitively or through some type of a spiritual realization. What exactly is psycho-spiritual paradigm? Well, it blends both spiritual traditions with grounded psychological knowledge. And it's very needed because as we see, we see in, in fundamentalist traditions uh, and elsewhere as well, that we have a lot of priests, bishops, religious people, pastors that sexually abuse people or they're not really grounded in understanding relationships. And so in order to truly live and ground spiritual teachings that come from the world's religious traditions, psychology manifested as part of evolution. We began to develop this deeper understanding, which makes us, makes us question our thoughts, examine our emotions and feelings from where they come from, understand human behaviors, and overall become a more complete human being. So what is the value of, um, of our spiritual traditions today as, as we continue to evolve? Um, you're saying that, you know, blending them with, this, with the psychology and grounded in science. But what is the value of, of our religions at this point? Well, at this point, I think we're being forced to really examine. I just attended the seven-day Parliament of World Religions in the uh, Toronto and I was really impressed to notice that nobody was talking, well, our theology is this, and we're great to hear your theology. It's come a long way. The focus was on embracing the wisdom of indigenous traditions, balancing gender issues and recognizing women's leadership, dealing with environmental crisis, social justice issues, and the relationship of religion and war and violence. So all of that requires a grounded respect for the religious traditions and what they've brought us, the ability to examine where we have failed in that and why, and how to begin to blend these traditions in a way that helps us to become better human beings. Um, for instance, like I gave a talk on, on the golden rule, which is found in every single tradition, including indigenous traditions. There's this bottom line for humanity to love others as you would have others love you, to give unto others. In other words, kind of a whole picture. We receive and we give. And that's an expectation in life. But we haven't done very well with that. And the world's religious traditions has not been very well. Man, many wars have been promoted by religious ideologies and fighting over them and real rigid kind of mental structures. Fundamentalism, as you know, is pretty much at its worst. But it sounds, yet, like, um, sounds like the, the meeting you were at, um, they're trying to move out of that. Exactly. People are realizing, many people are walking away from traditional churches, but they're not walking away from spirituality. Uh, I have a course I teach called Spirituality and Mental Health, and I'd say about 80% of the students that sign up for this course, it's a university course, are Christians, but yet Week two, they're studying Buddhist tradition and the value of the Tonglen practice. Tonglen is a practice where when you're feeling angry or you're feeling grief or anything like that, you sit in a, and 
breathe into a field of compassion for yourself. And then you take it to the next level to do the same for any other persons that may be experiencing this type so, of emotion. So it sounds like there there is hope that we are blurring the lines between spiritual traditions that in a way that will benefit everyone. Right. Yeah. It's, it's more about looking at the usable qualities rather than the doctrines and theologies that limit us. No, well, they, they turned dogmatic over the years and were used to control, yes? Right, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how does a psycho-spiritual paradigm relate to human development? Well, uh, if we include the best of psychology, we all have erroneous cognitions, right? And we need to learn to check them out so that we don't project on other people in other situations or repress emotions within ourselves, all of that's going to lead toward making us a more complete human being. But then when we also bring in meditative practices, chanting, mantric, uh, prayer, dream work, mindfulness, all of these traditions, they all add to a deepening clearing within the self so that we're more apt to do this introspective work to know ourselves better and to bring in the light and energy that's available would you mind saying in different terms what you mean by erroneous cognition (laughs) okay that's cognitive therapy and that means that we tend to have thoughts that are either catastrophic or they're all black and white, or basically a form of thought that we haven't really checked out how real it is, but yet we projected it on the other, ourselves, or the situation. Okay, so we make a a snap judgment and then apply it without really examining it. Right, and there's different forms. The cognitive therapists have different forms that they recognize. For instance, I can think of someone I know that tends to be very catastrophic. Everything is really big. So then what you would do is you would begin to recognize this tendency toward catastrophizing. And you would begin to realize, oh, that's just a, a cognitive behavior I've learned and I can change it. Okay, so that's the way you frame the world. You can reframe it. (laughs) Right, exactly. We're going to have to take a short pause. Sharon and I will be back after this commercial break. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, Psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. 
with over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.xzonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. This is Mission Evolution Radio, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. Remember, past episodes are available on our website, missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka, and our special guest this hour is Dr. Sharon G. Maharas. Her website, psychospiritual.org. Sharon, we were just starting to talk about um, erroneous cognition and projection, and I think this is a huge topic um, that we all struggle with without probably even knowing it. So would you go into that a little bit more? What's the mechanics behind that? Well, first I wanted to finish saying something about the cognitive therapy. It's considered to be, how would you put it, it's somewhat a superficial because it doesn't go to the depths that psychoanalysis and other depth psychologies go to, for instance, Jungian. But, like I said, everybody has erroneous cognitions. So the value is that you learn to check it out. How true is it really? Now, like you had mentioned about we may not be aware of certain things, that goes into the deeper level of kind of psychoanalytic training and depth psychology that's why jung and freud both worked a lot with unconscious processes and so there you've got your dream work you've got these uh looking at the myths that influence how we behave how we live our lives the choices we make Uh, i'm always very impressed with the hero's journey because i think it's very important And that's a depth psychological view. I mean, as you know, Joseph Campbell studied all the world's religious traditions and all of its mythologies. And he looked at how the theme of the hero gaining from difficult situations, learning from difficult situations, being willing to go through the fire in order to come out on the other side. And what you learned, you're then able to not only become a more developed human being, but you're able to help others in some way. So when I do therapy, or even when I write, I somehow always bring in that hero's journey theme. It seems like, uh, as we're trying to evolve as individuals and as a species, walking out of some of our myths, and I don't mean the myths and legends we use in the hero journey, I'm talking about personal ones, where we made a snap judgment and then apply it to the world at large, regardless of how accurate it is or isn't, is going to be very, very necessary. Oh, my God, yes. And self-examination is one of the most important human uh, things that we need to do. In fact, you can go back to the ancient Greeks, know thyself. Yeah. And so many people ignore it. Everything takes us away from that. All of the outer world interests, the concerns about appearance, the media, Facebook, cellular phones, smartphones, you know, you name it. The world is a dazzling place that keeps us away from truly knowing ourselves and what we believe. And therein lies the value, right? Right, right. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, um, again, that know yourself is so, so important because the, to the degree that we know ourselves uh, or not, we're limited in how we can relate to others. Do you see becoming more cognizant of yourself and reevaluating your judgments as opening up human communication? Right. Because if we can learn to do that without self-criticism, without other criticism, but we can sincerely look, for instance, uh, I was thinking last night about how we need to first examine our responses to anything, the reaction, and ask ourselves, why did I react that way? Or even when we see somebody behaving very poorly, where is that same tendency in me? And the more we can learn to do that, the more we'll root out these um, harmful responses. You know, change gears a little bit. What can you tell us about the physical body's relationship to trauma and disassociation? Well, I, um, it's become more widely accepted, I am happy to say, to recognize that the body is consciousness. Way back in um, 1993, when I was doing my doctoral research, uh, I uh, actually, the name of my dissertation was Fragmented Self, Archetypal Forces and the Embodied Mind. So I was making a case for the consciousness that arises out of the body. There's a, pretty much a theory of down-up, which is our thoughts impact our emotions in our body, or up-down, our sensations and emotions impact our thoughts. It's both. And so how do we regain the capacity of being a full human being, it depend, it is dependent upon also the inclusion of the body. And many body therapies help to awaken the body. There's also uh, the value of Qigong, Tai Chi, yoga. Harvard University has been doing a lot of research with people with PTSD. And I'm particularly impressed with um, Bessel van der Kolk's work, as is many others, uh, are many others. He is has focused on trauma and the body, but then he has brought in Tai Chi, Qigong, yoga as a way to begin to heal the body at the same time that you're realizing the consciousness, be it rough or be it good, within the body, how to begin to bring that in harmony with the mind. One cannot heal from trauma without bringing in the body. And it, it makes sense. And there's a lot of studies right now that are very exciting where they're starting to recognize that um, the trauma of our ancestors is actually locked in our DNA. So, so, you know, the body comes in with a certain amount of trauma already programmed into it. And then right. we add to that. If we don't treat the, the trauma in the body, we can't possibly um, move beyond it, can we? No. And, and it's really interesting, you know, you're noting the hereditary factors on spiritual and physiological levels, you see patterns in families. I know just watching my own family, I can see where one generation repeats the generation, the problems of the past and then continues them on to the next generation. And you see this in many families. And, uh, you know, when people can sit with the sensations and the feelings in their body, and begin to be okay with them and to listen to them, then we can begin to heal that and also make it safer for our relatives and friends to do the same. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of like the hundredth monkey theory in a way, and I don't know the mechanics behind that. Do you? Uh, well, there's something about some people believe that once one person in the family changes, that it can make a shift in the whole family. I've not seen that proven in my own in my own family. It's a very slow, long process, and I've tended to listen more to the Iroquois on unto the seventh generation that there is a steady stream of a karmic factor that's going through. What will become of it? Um, is to be seen. How well do we grow and learn from our experiences? But it also, the seventh generation makes us pretty, or 
should make us pretty mindful about what we do in our lifetime because it is going to impact our ancestors. Exactly. I mean, and our descendants as well. Are, right. And it's very, it, well, it affects both the ancestors and the descendants. You're right. And so what we do and the changes we make in ourselves, they are creating a shift. But I've also observed it's very important for the others in that those relationships to be doing their own work as well. We cannot do completely the work for other people. No, it takes a tribe, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. Is this together? Is disassociation related to our fragmented state as individuals and as a culture? Uh, right. In fact, I covered that in my dissertation. That uh, dissertation or the dissociation was both an individual process and a cultural process, and you can see that. You can also see the same mistakes that an egoic person can make, somebody really stuck in their ego, very, very limited, and you see these same behaviors in a nation or the religious yeah. group. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Would you mind um, explaining um, for us exactly what, what is disassociation? Dissociation is where one has feelings and sensations that are totally outside of the general consciousness that one maintains, the executive ego state, we might call it. And it can be totally separated from various early life experiences, things that occurred even before one was born. One of the things that I've examined and find extremely interesting is how situations prenatally, before the infant is born, those circumstances that are occurring with the parents and especially with the mother are going to create a setting. They're creating a setting that is going to impact the life and the emotional responses and the type of thought preferences of that child that's coming into the world. Well, with a, with a placental wall allowing hormones across and uh, strong emotions creating hormonal responses in the mother, it does make sense, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, it yeah. does. Um, uh, my second child has been a real examination of a lot of that. Uh, when I was pregnant with her, I was in a violent marriage and I was being beaten often, which meant all of that would have gone into her. Years later, because I was totally ignorant on that level after she was born, and of course she was loved and everything, but she was being impacted by all that. Another thing was as the baby was being born, the doctor was shoving me full of, of drugs and I was no, almost knocked out for the birth. So that meant that the baby was coming into the world. And this is true of many decades ago, many infants. They're coming into the world drugged, and then we wonder why we have drug problems. So, so anyway, I observed later in life that um, this daughter... Well, we're going to have to take a break and pick up okay. with your daughter on the other side of a short pause. Okay. Sharon and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break. And it's a pretty interesting one, so you stay right there. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. 
Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, www.missionevolution.org, bringing the latest tools and information to support the path to enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka, and our guest this hour is Dr. Shannon G. Maharis. Her website, psychospiritual.org. Sharon, we were talking about how um, the inner utero experience can impact us um, in our um, for the rest of our lives. And um, I'd, I'd like to continue with that because how much of us is impact from our trauma and how much of us is our true expression. Right. And, and I was talking about my daughter and what I observed in her. And she was sitting on the couch with me years ago, and I noticed how her body was turned away. And I thought, God, there's nothing that makes any sense to this. And then I realized, oh, I'm like a toxic wound to her. She still has that hormonal, neurological... Uh, evolutionary, all of those impacts in her body unconsciously. And she doesn't want to deal with it, so she's kind of stuck with it. But slowly, I also watch her discovering herself in the process and coming to finding herself and what her interests are, uh, finding herself as a helpful person. She's been helping with people with the campfires in Northern California. And so I see her growing despite that, but I also see how this old programming, the pre-uterine uh, programming still impacts her. But I ask at a deeper level, is this something that is bad or is it good? Are we learning from these experiences and do we become a more knowledgeable and healthy human being as the end result. And that's that's what we're looking at for here because we're all trying to evolve. So how can the concept of psychospirituality help us as individuals uh, find a more unified experience? Well, we take what we can use and what applies at a given period in our life, whether it's shamanic teachings, whether it's the Buddhist mindfulness meditation, the Tonglen that I find all of my students in my classes love, that whole idea of being compassionate with yourself and whatever experience you're having and then realizing that others are also having that experience and holding a sense of compassion for those you know and then those you don't know. All of those practices encourage us integrating the psychological processes and responses that we're experiencing at any given moment. Do you think we're in a better position to mend fragmentation now than in times past? I mean, these these are ancient forms, um, but we're applying them now. I think increasing people are turning toward them. It's happening more at the grassroots level. Uh, slowly, some religious institutions that used to be real rigid, like saying yoga was evil or whatever, are recognizing it can be beneficial. I was in Morocco a few years ago for 11 days, and during those 11 days, I went with Muslim friends to three kundalini yoga practices. You got to love that. <laughs> well, we'll, let's, change, let's change gears here just a little bit. What role does memory play in unity? Uh, explain what you mean by that. Um, memory, memory, whether it's accurate or whether it, it's not, how does that impact our ability to unify within ourselves and with others? Well, I think as for me, I can only speak for myself, my, my awareness of my memories makes the difference and how I accept and work with those memories, even just letting them go. 
uh, too many people get entrenched in difficult memories and it becomes their identity. And the other day I was talking with someone about the Tibetan sand trainings where they create these beautiful mandalas and then they just walk away from and let nature do what it will. They don't get stuck even in what they've created. It's a metaphor for a way of living life. Yeah, we're not getting stuck in your story, right? That's right. And too many Mm -hmm. people get stuck in their stories. I remember there was a wonderful movie back in the 70s called Camelot. And um, King Arthur was training, uh, no, uh, Merlin was training young King Arthur to be King Arthur. And he was taking him in the form of a bird or a fish and whatever and yelling out into the ethers. And what are you learning now, Arthur? And that always stuck with me. What are we learning in any situation and then looking at what are the myths we have about that so one of the things i think that's happening in the world is that people are becoming more willing it's split as we can see it's almost split down the middle particularly in the united states of those that are open to new learning and those that are not but it's think of the amount of people from many different countries that are heading towards South America or even bringing shamans from South America, titers and the what, um, because shaman is a word that comes from uh, Siberia. It's not a word that's used in South America, Mexico, whatever. And so they have their own titles, Taita, uh, curandero, healer. Why are so many people heading to learn from them and taking ayahuasca and whatever? They're seeking deeper inner experience. The Parliament of World Religions on day five in the morning plenary, which is one of your things that has the larger speakers separate from the small workshops, and the large one had a large film say, on ayahuasca Uh, Yeah, but isn't it kind of a mixed bag? I mean, you know, these great ayahuasca tours, some people maybe are seekers and looking for a deeper aspect of reality, while others are looking for a cheap high. How can you tell the difference, and do you think there should be regulation around it? Well, I think what... Uh, No, I don't think there should be any regulation other than the shamans. I think the main problem is the mystical tourism where you've got untrained shamans. Exactly, that's my point. Right, right. right. But, um, you know, the thing is, is people are not having some kind of a high like you would have with drugs. It's very different. You go into an experience where you're seeing maybe some aspect of your own life or some kind of training that's very important to that – impacts how you're going to live people don't go into that lightly they're going to be throwing up they don't know what they're going to experience it's a major submission and uh, i know stanley krippner a a deep friend of mine a wonderful psychologist who has explored many psychospiritual paradigms and written many books and he noted that the first time he did ayahuasca basically the medicine told him you need to open your heart that's not harmful (laughs) okay that's not harmful that is what we need uh i've done ayahuasca several times i've sure been confronted with people that come back from one of the you know tourist ayahuasca tours and they're trashed and need to be put back together because they didn't have the support the surrounds for that deep of an experience how can a person tell when this is something for them or not and what kind of support do they need I think you you should have a, a felt sense that it's right for you, and I think yes, these this mystical tourism is really problematic, and it doesn't have the follow up that's needed. It doesn't have the understanding. People are just going off for a thrill or because they think it's a the thing to do and it's popular, rather than a deep dedication to it wanting to learn. It could also be seen learn. as a shortcut, can't, can't it? Rather than doing your process, you go in and have a drug dredge it up for you, and people get overwhelmed if they don't if they aren't followed up right. I think, right, this is the wisdom of the individual and also the wisdom held by the leader and the group. And that is a problem. You bring up a very important problem. It's also true, it's been true in many people running off to ashrams and various spiritual um, uh, things that you're doing very deeply, breath processes, deep meditation process. There always needs to be some 
someone to process with, someone to help you to ground it and make it real. For me, I've always been very blessed because I have a very strong intuition. Don't but you I think, see don't others. You- don't don't you think yeah don't you think that um, while in one sense us choosing you know picking some from all of these different traditions to help us evolve at this time is is probably a good and solid thing in the other sense aren't we kind of taking it too lightly and not going deep enough in the praxis to engage those checks and balances and authorities that we need present for us well said we need to ask ourselves why we are doing any practice be it holotropic breath work, be it ayahuasca, be it deep meditative practices, why are we doing them and what are we seeking? And I think when we're really seeking to make the world a better place for ourselves and for others, and we're really willing to face ourselves, then we've got the best starting place. And um, when people haven't had any deep psychological or spiritual training and they jump into some of these very deep processes that take you into unknown territories, you need preparation and you also need follow-up. Now, I do know a, a healer. She doesn't like calling herself a shaman or she calls herself a medicine healer. And she's been very well trained in ayahuasca from somebody in Colombia for like 15 years. She's trained with him and and only began doing the medicine after so many years with his blessing. And she always speaks to people individually before any kind of a session. And then they have follow up groups for how you ground it and how to apply it. She was called to it because she was in Stanford University as a med student and she had an eating disorder and somehow she intuitively got it that this would be helpful for her and she heard of Taitawan and she headed down to Colombia. So is, is where she's doing the ayahuasca and helping other people through it, is ayahuasca legal there? Um, she has um, managed in California to get it legalized as a church for her group. Ah, okay. Yeah, and in it's, Col- it's an interesting in, dance. In Colombia, yes, it is legal. In right. Peru, it's also legal. In Ecuador as well. Right, right. Yeah, pretty amazing. So I'd like to pick up with this on the other side and go into a little bit about how if we go into trauma through ayahuasca or whatever, we might misinterpret the information we're getting. So, we, But we do need to take a short break. Sharon and I will be back shortly. So don't you dare go away. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xfbn.net. You have heard of the Exxon? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Path Home Shamanic Art School has just launched a new online series of classes, Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow. In these classes, composed and taught by Path Home founder and director Gwilda Wiecka, you'll learn practical shamanic skills to support your daily life, such as how to build a medicine wheel to access the power of the earth, perform a shamanic journey, create sacred space in which to live and work, empower your life with totem animals, elementals, and fairy folk, and learn the art of accurately reading signs and omens. These tried and true skills are the key to living a powerful, productive life. 
Visit us at findyourpathhome.com to see the ever-growing collection of classes and leading-edge information to support you during these times of uncertainty and transition. All can be found at findyourpathhome.com. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, www.missionevolution.org, bringing the latest developments in an evolving world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. I always love suggestions from my listeners. Email me at info at missionevolution.org to propose a topic or a guest that's on your mind. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. Our guest this hour is Dr. Shannon G. Maharis. Her website, psychospiritual.org. We were um, getting into, um, you know, the ayahuasca journeys and how, or any any of these traditional things, whether it's drug-oriented or just um, uh, ceremonial-oriented, and how we really need to be working with trained people um, and prepared for it. I would like to look, have you help me look into, we can access memory through these modalities, and um, how accurately do we interpret them if we don't have the guidance to work with metaphor? Okay, I have done a lot of deep transformational work, both through holotropic breath work and also through ayahuasca. And one of the things I find out is find is that when you go into these deep transformative states, generally what comes to you is so understandable that you can put it in a right context. Now, I admit, in experienced people that haven't done any work, that may be problematic and they need more guidance from someone else. But when I get, for instance, um, plant medicines are not called drugs. (laughs) They're called plant medicines because the wisdom actually comes from the plant as a teacher. Plant teachers is another form. And and breath, let's talk about breath as well. Holotropic breath work has been around for a few decades. It takes one into deep transformative processes. And what again, is, you have this intuitive understanding that comes all together. What is holotropic breath work? Holotropic breath work was um, devised by uh, the psychiatrist Stanislav Groth, and he was doing experiments paid for by the Sandoz company, who were the creators of LSD. And then it became illegal, and he wanted to continue the experiment and the research he was doing both with himself and with many clients. And he discovered this rapid breath work that took one into a deep altered state. It also uses um, loud provocative music, and it encourages the participants to go into a deep state where they understand they resolve birth issues, they they resolve life issues, they have spiritual influences coming through at the same time, not unlike that trance experience that I explained in the beginning that I had when I was 23 years old, where psychological and spiritual things come together at the same time. And that brings in the reframing that is needed. Well, breath sounds like a, a nice holistic way of working with it. Um, and it, it's in, found in a lot of tra- different traditions, isn't it? Yes. In fact, I have a book called The Revelation of the Breath, which is an edited book. And I brought together people from Eastern, Western, and Middle Eastern traditions talking about the, the breathing process that used. An interesting thing about breath Well, first, it's the first thing we do and it's the last thing we do. So everything in between is either a held or an open breath. And um, 
breath according to its specific tradition, when that particular breath form originated, tends to carry the experiences that go with it. So holotropic breath work will take one into deep transformative states, whereas most yoga is about bringing the mind and body together. Gotcha. So what's cellular memory? A cellular memory is just exactly what it says, that within the cells of our bodies, we hold memories, and many of them are unconscious. And the idea of doing these processes are opening up those cells, opening up the meridians, the nervous system, and all of the organs in our body, That the information flows between all of them through our neurological systems. And as we free up the connections through breath work, through plant medicines, through deep meditative processes, that energy begins to flow. The cells begin to awaken and we can heal old memories and also bring in refreshing new prana, chi, life force energy to help to create change. So the cellular memory creates sort of a block to chi. Yes, it can. Uh, The muscles, it's usually the muscles too. The muscles contract in difficult times. Let's say a child is entering school and that child may have been flowing pretty freely in life playing and somebody tells the child that there's something wrong with them or there's a shock or a trauma that happens. The muscles contract, the body contracts, the memory contracts within it and people get locked into that and then the mind makes up its stories about it that usually limit a person. So when you do these deeper processes, you begin to open the flow so that new, fresh air comes in. (laughs) How does cellular memory relate to our neural pathways and the autonomic nervous system? Well, through the connections that goes with it, I don't want to get into scientific wording without a lot of preparation here, but uh, the cells... uh, You know, I think it more of muscle memory, and of course the cells are within the muscles, and we're all a whole whole person. And so as these openings occur, I I can't define it as well in scientific terms as I can define it more in psycho-spiritual terms. As we begin to release these held structures, these limiting structures, my gosh, there is tons of proof out there that the, the gut the heart, as well as other organs produce neurotransmitters and that it isn't just the almighty brain. There is communication taking place between all the organs and facets of our body and mind. The only problem is, is that we've been shut down and ignorant of them. And so deeper processes open the door. And it opens the door to a more unified experience, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, and where when the different we... parts can talk to different parts. <laughs> That's right. And and we can learn to see these um, hidden forces, not only traumatic things, but also very positive forces that also get repressed when we we contract and create blocks within ourselves at whatever age it happens. It also blocks out the fact that we have light flowing through us and that we have goodness and we have beauty. Jung talked a lot about the shadow But he also talked not only about the shadow being the things we didn't want to accept as negative, but also the positive things. Very often we will see in another person something that we admire, but unless it's in our own consciousness, we cannot even recognize it. So that means it's inherent within us what we admire in another person. So how do we bring that forward? So what part does this um, interrelatedness between trauma, cellular memory, and compartmentalization play in physical illness? Well, if we don't deal with those energy blocks within the body and things get stored in organs, or if we go to Eastern thought in chakra areas, um, which are very related, then um, that can that blocked energy has nowhere to go. It has no expression. The story has not been told. All it can do is begin to create that stagnant energy begins to manifest an illness. In that sense, sometimes illness can be a blessing because it can lead us to releases. It can lead us to self-discovery. I've had clients with fibromyalgia that when they had rough bouts, I would question them. What were you not paying attention to about yourself? 
that was right before you came into this latest pain? How so do we how, pay attention to neglected parts of ourselves? How does the fragmented compartmentalized way of approaching life, how has that uh, uh, impacted our current medical paradigms? Well, uh, because the doctors just look at the symptoms and they try and uh, treat the symptoms and they don't look at the the feelings, the other relationships that are involved. This is slowly starting to change. You know, you yes, can I see. Yes, I see that too. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So mm -hmm. for, for our listeners, if there was one thing that you would advise to, to get started to try to find that um, places that you've locked down and aren't in a, a conversation with yourself, what would it be? It would be the breath. Uh, beginning with breathing processes and learning how to be comfortable with them, learning how to be comfortable with yourself as you breathe, allowing it to teach you and guide you. There is a process called focusing, but even it in its depth practice of feeling a sensation in your body and allowing what images, thoughts arise from it, whatever, it's like it's the breath. And when you do meditative breathing processes, you open up the body for healing forces. Do you um, advocate journaling while you're doing this so you start to keep track of what's coming up? I think it's good to journal. I tend to not do it myself in the last few decades of my life, but I used to earlier. And journaling is very good because it lets the unconscious know you're listening and you're giving it credit and you're writing down, keeping track of your dreams because when you begin deep processes, the dreams will often reflect it. Mm -hmm. And keeping that continuum isn't a bad thing, is it? No, no. It's very important. Mm -hmm. it, again, it's just going back to know thyself. How does one know thyself if we don't do this deep inner work? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard to believe, but we're just about out of time, Sharon. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a real pleasure. Our guest this hour has been Dr. Sharon G. Maharis, the co-author of six books focused on psycho-spiritual development and the role of the feminine in global transformation, including a force such as the world has never known, Women Creating Change. Her website is psychospiritual.org. Remember to join our email family to stay abreast of all the exciting new things we have coming up at missionevolution.org. While you're there, join in the discussion on our blog. This has been Mission Evolution Radio Show with Wilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as the mission continues to bring information, resources, and support to an evolving world. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. 
live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365.